0: It makes me very, very happy, and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with, and let's work out together. Welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand, and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today this podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all so sit back listen and most importantly take action Hello, team, and welcome back to the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Paul Dumdy. It really does seem as if the algorithms wanted Paul and I to connect. His content kept popping up on my feed, and once I started looking into him a little bit more, I knew I had to speak with him. Paul is an online health and fitness coach. However, he's not just your run of the mill average online coach, he's on a mission to break the diet cycle and to get people to really critically think about their health, their fitness, and their pre existing beliefs. There's a lot of health and fitness content in this episode, but I feel the real value lies in the learnings that Paul has gained through his own journey of self-awareness and his meticulous desire to put his own belief systems under the microscope and come out with a more well-rounded perspective. In this episode, we go through how you can better construct your weight loss goals how we can begin to debunk myths around dieting and our own unhelpful thinking styles, and how you can start to create boundaries and why your lack of them is probably hindering your progress. I honestly wrapped up this conversation due to respect of Paul's time versus actually wanting to. So I have no doubt you guys are going to take value from this conversation. So without further ado, Paul Dermody. Paul Dermody, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm very well. Thanks for having me, man. Well, my pleasure. I mean, really look forward to speaking with you. We've made a bit of a fast turnaround on getting this conversation on. So I'm really looking forward to having a chat about you personally, how you're messaging, how you apply your learnings and your personal life to your clients and everything along those lines. But as I was saying to you just before we got started, it's the Instagram algorithm has played a good role here. It kept suggesting your posts, it kept suggesting your podcasts. And I was just like, I really need to dive into this guy's world a little bit. And as I said to you earlier, like I was, it was, very relevant. It all related to me and I think it will land very well with the listeners today. So for those listeners who haven't come across you before, who are you and what is it that you do?
1: Well, thank you for that. And thanks for the invite on. I also always say on my podcast, if I'm ever talking to a client that it's funny, we have to pretend we didn't preamble for like five minutes. Before we start this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So to keep it nice and snappy, I am a personal trainer, essentially. I work mostly online with a smattering of one-to-one clients depending on where I am at any given time. Currently, I'm um, living or working from Southern Spain and I had moved here from Vietnam in Ho Chi Minh where I was leaving, living for two years. And yeah, man, I, I'm pa- very passionate about kind of the idea of that you took something you said nicely at the start, trying to help people essentially break what I consider to be the the diet cycle through kind of more self-awareness and mm-hmm. some simple principles and practices. I think everybody can relate to it in some way when they might hear the diet cycle, even if we have very different experiences of it. I, I would think certainly in the context of what I know, many people would have their own personal, mm-hmm. possibly negative experience at some point with the diet cycle. And I'm essentially trying to get people to not make my mistakes. I know a lot of people got into fitness and got into health and fitness because they were super passionate about it and super good at it in a way that either took to it well, or they understood it well, or they were curious, or they were very scientifically driven. That's not how I got started. I make and have made every single mistake that if you were to read my Instagram, I'm basically journaling to my younger, slightly more stupid self, but I would have listened to anyone's advice. I would have fallen into pretty much every thinking trap you can think of. I had a set of absolutes, black and white rules that had to be followed to the letter of the law, or they weren't followed to at all. I certainly throughout the years, I've had kind of every negative experience with dieting that you could even imagine. And now... I have had, or I happen to have, a very good relationship with food and a great relationship with fitness and my entire lifestyle. And I mean, I could go down a massive caveat before I even—I could go down a massive rabbit hole, pardon here. But basically, what I came down to is, I started focusing a lot more on my own self-awareness and my own values. I didn't like a lot of what I was getting taught. I was getting taught a lot of nuts and bolts by really smart people without actually the the person it was being applied to, or I was getting taught a lot of pseudoscience nonsense by charlatan esque people after a quick buck, but either way, I always felt I was fighting an uphill battle with this fitness thing. And it wasn't until I started kind of questioning what I was educated with, but also putting it alongside my own intrinsic values. I basically sidestepped what I kind of felt a lot of guys my age value, and I decided to create my own value base to deposit into and, and withdraw from. And that kind of changed my entire life to the point now where I have a great relationship with food, fitness, health, my, my life in general. And I don't want anybody to become a mini me, but I would like everybody to get a sense of that as well for them. I hope that answers
0: your question. It absolutely does. And we're going to dive into the values side of things. But funny that you say that, because I feel like it's almost like a before values and after values. It's like you had one point of your existence without any metacognition or understanding of your own and then you have the after. And, you know, it just seems like what was I doing wasting all of my life at that time? until I discovered that, well, actually what everything that I was given was exactly that it was given. It wasn't a choice that I made until you actually have that realization. So I want to go dive down that. But before I do, I want to touch more on what got you into the fitness industry in the first place. What made you make the choice to become a personal trainer and how did the transition look to becoming online and then wanting to work with, you know, I said, Actually, I guess more people on an online platform versus being on the gym floor.
1: So, when I was a gym enthusiast long before I was a personal trainer, I idolized kind of bodybuilding magazines, bodybuilding forums, that bodybuilding look, and and to a degree, I still have a tremendous amount of respect for it. But back then, I kind of blindly idolized it, and I would have done anything that it took at the time to get into that kind of shape. And I was about 24 years old and I moved in with two physique competitors. And because I was already kind of training hard in the gym, I just kind of adopted lifestyle habits and patterns that they were doing and applied it to my own training, lifestyle, et cetera. And within say, because I had already been doing weight training for a couple of years anyway, within a year or just a little bit more than that, I found myself competing in men's physique. But as much as I have no regrets and as much as I enjoyed it and I got a lot from it, it didn't provide me with anything near as much as the joy or the fulfillment that I was hoping it would bring me. And I've since come to learn it's because it wasn't a reflection of my values. It wasn't a reflection of something deep within me that a self-expression that you see a lot of great bodybuilders, you know, use to their advantage. It was basically blind influence. And because of that, once I was coming out of the post-competition phase, I didn't feel amazing. Mentally, I felt very subdued. I felt a little bit lost. I felt almost disappointed that getting into that kind of peak physical shape didn't bring me the satisfaction that I thought it would. And I felt very confused and lost. And I started blogging about it, just started harmlessly blogging about it on a a Facebook page, on on a WordPress, but linking it off through Facebook. And I, I remember my very first blog was just quite simply that fine line between mastery and obsession. And I just kind of talked about mastering the fitness lifestyle is one thing, but then, you know, where's the line between mastering it versus getting obsessed about it? And it was received really well. Then I started talking about things like thinking traps and things like rebounding and yo-yo dieting and basically things that I had kept falling into myself. And I had known at this stage because I'd been spending a lot of time with Brian Keen Fitness, who I went on to work for, and essentially he helped me become a personal trainer at the time. I had planned on being a personal trainer with him, and at the time, because I was quite like you said, I had not been even considering my values or what I wanted from it. I thought I was going to train competitors and train athletes, and you know, I was going to be that guy, the personal trainer in my gym. We were all going to get shredded and Johnny six pack, and you know, crush the world. And when I was blogging about my experiences, where where it was getting shared and commented on and and read read, say was it was from people who were fresh out of slimming clubs or diet clubs or things like that, or people that just had very, like no real fundamental understanding of the nutritional principles and coming from kind of yo-yo dieting backgrounds. So I actually really related to Gen Pop who are struggling to get a hold on this as opposed to what I thought I was going to relate to, which was competitors and whatnot. So uh, upon blogging about that kind of stuff, I just was very consistent. I posted on my Facebook and my WordPress most days. I didn't have Instagram at the time. I was already planning to kind of come in and work under Brian Keen Fitness, not as an intern, but as his first actual trainer, because I was already qualified and yeah, I just got, I, that's kind of how I got into personal training. It was kind of a case of the stars aligning. I had already been qualified since I've been 19 years old. Brian Keane had an opportunity for a trainer to work with him. I wanted to get into the fitness industry. I thought men's physique competing was going to give me that high that I was looking for and that I would crack on and become a fitness competitor, and that didn't do that. And I think what I felt was a lack of meaning and I needed to find that meaning elsewhere. And luckily for me, I felt maybe, maybe the meaning is elsewhere. And I've since managed that. I needed that in a professional capacity. So I left my office job and I started working full-time as a personal trainer with Brian. And I was just very lucky that, you know, I, I, I'm not sitting here and saying, I'm the best personal trainer in the world and everybody loved me. But I got very fortunate that the first couple of clients that I did work with, like the first one specifically who I took on for free, I didn't charge him, did lose 50 pounds. And his testimony was at the time as well. Think back to 2015 Facebook where the organic reach was very easy uh-huh. to get clients. <laughs> that, that picture spread like wildfire basically around my around my town, around my city. I also had Brian that was getting clients like I was working kind of under him and getting my own funnel of clients too. And then I got more clients after that. And I just seemed to appeal to very general population people. A lot of people who had struggled with their weight their whole life seemed to trust me. And I don't know if it was the fact that maybe even though my fitness journey on the other extreme of being like super lean and obsessive about it, it was still this really unfulfilling relationship with food. And I could relate to the aspect of finding food very hard to control. And maybe I haven't pieced it fully together yet, but I still think that's perhaps why people thought that they could trust me. Maybe I could empathize with them in a way that perhaps other trainers couldn't. And it just, it went from there, man, within a couple of years, I had already left Brian on his recommendation. He said, man, you have entrepreneurial tendencies, you'll do your own thing. It was the first time I'd ever considered in my life when he said it but he was right. I did have very entrepreneurial tendencies and I left Brian and I started doing my own thing, became a personal trainer. And, you know, within a couple of years I was full in my gym. I was, you know, I was the most expensive personal trainer in the gym at the time. And I I was by a long way the busiest. And I kind of topped out with that kind of cognitive stretch, you know, it it hadn't become a challenge anymore to get new clients and stuff. So I just decided online was the next step. And it's kind of just basically led me to this uh, place. Now it's a very long answer, I know, but ultimately, yeah, it started with a, it started with thinking I wanted to your cliche young man who I wanted to be a men's physique bodybuilder, chasing insanely lean, ripped muscle abs, realizing the typical cliche that, you know, fitness and health starts as a get me sexy venture, but then leaves you asking deeper questions about fulfillment. And then being able to, I suppose you might say, storytell across my platforms in such a way that the right kind of client for me would be attracted to me based on any knowledge
0: I've acquired and any experience that I have. That's a great story. And I can see why I've been so drawn to your messaging because our, our stories are incredibly similar. I qualified at 18, went down the route of men's physique, realized it wasn't what I wanted, um, came out the other side of that. Again, thought I'd be you know training bodybuilders, training men's physique um, athletes, but I actually ended up getting a lot more traction with the general population. We dived into their world, found it way more interesting because of, as I think I've heard you speak about before, is that training bodybuilders is amazing. And I again, I have the utmost respect for them, but they want it. They want to train. They want to eat well. And then most of the time, they are going to be incredibly diligent. Whereas getting some who has no interest in whatsoever, who actually doesn't even like training or eating in a specific way to achieve something they never thought they would achieve before. Because the bodybuilders kind of know they're going to get stage shape, right? But the general population doesn't believe they can lose those five, 10, 15 kilos. So I found it incredibly rewarding. So I can definitely relate to you on that front. And I want to come back to the obsession and mastery just before we we dive deeper. Did you ever come up with a a rational answer and what the difference was between those two? I don't think I still have. to tell you the truth.
1: <laughs> If I was to get very, and I put on the spot, I haven't actually haven't considered this question in a while, but I suppose that's testing somebody to see if they actually know what they're talking about, isn't it? I suppose if I was to speak from it, the, the obsession is trying to control variables, perhaps variables that are borderline uncontrollable. Theoretically, I can tell you every single macro and calorie to hit this week and theoretically you can do it. But if that eats into certain values that you hold dear to you, that might prevent you from manipulating the calorie balance equation to the umpteenth degree, then that might be an argument, say, for the difference between mastery and obsession. I know from my own experience that I have giving up alcohol and sugar. I'm embarrassed to say the sugar thing, but I give up table sugar for close to a year and I give up alcohol for close to two. Now, to be fair, the alcohol thing was because I was trying to save my money to build my business. So I have no regrets about that, but it was part calorie fear too. So I gave up alcohol and I gave up sweets. And now that I'm a little bit older and a little bit more mature, I can tell you that when I think mastery, I think of formulating my whole lifestyle around the fact that my social life is one of my highest values. It's not seven nights a week. It's usually one night a week, which with my girlfriend or my friends. And maybe two nights a week, I have some great friends, especially when I moved to Ho Chi Minh. I have great friends in back home as well, but they're all moved to various parts of Ireland or various parts of the world now. But in the last two, three years, particularly I have great friends in Ho Chi Minh and here in Malaga. And I have to really embrace that. I, I, one thing I've never really struggled with in my life is actually being quite a, a social person with the right company. And I really do enjoy going for food and drinks. So to me, mastery is understanding that, yeah, I'd like to be stronger. Yeah. I'd like to be fitter. Yeah. I need my social life to be in, you know, my life and maybe getting the most returns in all of those departments for the least amount of suffering possible. Obsession, you could argue, could be getting similar or better results, but sacrificing all the things that, you know, are deeply intrinsic to you, intrinsically meaning, pardon, and, and rewarding to you. I had an online coach a couple of years ago. I have a tremendous respect for the guy and I'd never say anything bad about the guy, very intelligent, but on the human side of things, he wasn't particularly good there was no real, just a walking encyclopedia of decent knowledge. But I remember one day I was told, don't drink diet drinks, Diet Coke off the table, you're not having it. And I remember thinking, what, what i do instead? And he said, if you can get some kind of like my wadi or some kind of cordial with stevia, you can have that, but otherwise it's just water. And I remember thinking, "But what if I don't care enough to not have Diet Coke? <laughs> I thought that was a legit question. Like, yeah, okay, so you're telling me there's obviously a specific reason. What if I don't care? Like I could tell you not to buy takeaway coffee because it's cheaper than or more expensive than instant coffee. But what if you don't care about that two euro? You know, that's where values come in and self-awareness comes into it. And a lot of the information I've been presented with from my teens into my twenties was here's a load of rules. Go do this. And that's fine. Like, cool. If you're that way inclined, you do your thing. I'm not telling anybody what to do. But for me, there was that element of, um, I need to know why I would or wouldn't do something in the greater context of how it fits into my life. Like I'm going to Granada, a city in Spain with my girlfriend this weekend. I can't wait for it. We're going to visit this cool place, this really popular tourist attraction. And there's tapas and wine at the end of it. The younger me would be manipulating every variable to think, geez, can I have the tapas? Can I have the wine? Like, oh, what am I going to do? You know, now it's just what's the worst outcome? Go a couple of hundred calories over what I normally would. I'm okay with that. Almost sounds too silly and too trivial, but to me, that's mastery is acceptance. Mastery is understanding that you have a series of values away from fitness and food. To me, mastery is understanding that if you choose a behavior, you get to own that behavior, but you must understand that consequence. To me, mastery is being honest with yourself. It's kind of sidestepping things you don't like. I know a lot of people get vehemently anti-diet or you know. IIFYM and and fair enough. But to me, it's kind of sidestepping it all a little bit and asking what knowledge, what principles, what mindset, what variables do you need for a very healthy and fit and active lifestyle? Look, Elliot, you could tell me now, Paul, I have this really good protocol. It's going to get you 10% leaner. But if it takes away two or three of my favorite pleasures in the week, I'm not interested. And that to me is mastery you know, and not going to necessarily the other extreme, not not necessarily falling into thinking traps. You probably, you'll definitely be familiar with a lot of the kind of cognitive biases or traps or whatever, like black and white thinking or catastrophization. Exactly. You, you know, the, the younger me, tapas and wine would have freaked, you know, that's the diet ruined, you know, oh, you know, messed up now. What's the point? when current me is very, well, if I rob the joy from this experience, I'm going to rob the joy from all the rest of my food experience. Is that what I really want? That doesn't sound like mastery to me, but that's, that's my definition. Maybe mastery to a bodybuilder is tracking every macro to them, Dean Graham and getting jacked and and power to them. They found what works for them, but we're all, in my opinion, arbitrarily chasing things that aren't intrinsically meaningful to us. Partly because I don't think we've ever stopped to introspect you know, choose a behavior okay let's get let's get ripped, let's get six packy great, we'll track our calories to the nth degree. perfect, no going out for alcohol this weekend. what you said you wanted to be shredded, yeah, but I want to go out cool now you have like, I mean, I'm not saying you can't go out, I'm just giving a little example of the variables people don't consider before they jump straight into fitness goals, so I would consider that to be an element of mastery versus obsession. You might have something to piggyback upon that or maybe you disagree or, or agree particularly one or two of those bits and pieces, but i put it across that self-awareness spectrum
0: absolutely i think that's a great definition and i think that where where we find ourselves is that society really celebrates like individual accolades in an obsessive way, right? We look at Michael Jordan, we look at Cristiano Ronaldo, we look at all these people who are very tunnel vision on one thing and we celebrate it as culture massively. And I do it as well. I love the like ruthless winners. Like they are the ones that fascinate me the most. I think I did a podcast months back and I said, I love dominance. You know, I think I saw uh, Nike's revenue for the past quarter. And I was like, I love people who just ruthlessly pursue and they are relentless. You know, people like Federer, people that you say, but people who are on the top forever And we celebrate that. But actually, if you looked into it and we placed your definition upon those people they don't have that, right? But I think the key is, and like you said, is the reflection point of the values because if, if they have determined that actually, let me take a step back. Let me introspect. Let me look at this. This is genuinely my life's purpose. This is genuinely what I'm all about. Then amazing travel down that route. And like you said, to a bodybuilder, you know, tracking every single calorie could be mastery in their eyes. And to the person who says that, yes, this given sport for this period of my life is my it's my purpose and this is the route I'm going to travel down and 100%. But the problem comes in is when we get society's values projected onto us and our early influences, like for example, having a six pack, looking a certain way, and we go down those routes like you and I both did probably... You know, had some insecurities about our body when we were younger. Saw bodybuilding, saw that we could actually change our physiques, and then just traveled down there without any actual real introspection of whether it was the right thing to do or not. And then you find yourself ten years deep, fifteen years deep, twenty years deep. Maybe it's with a career, maybe it's with a certain life path, and you're like, "Wait, this isn't it for me." And there's probably this just, just like light hum of like existential angst that you can't really understand until you actually do that work. And I feel like, you know, I was fortunate enough to get that insight earlier in my life. And I'm incredibly grateful because of it was given to me. I don't feel like I necessarily searched for it. I, I found it. I was lucky enough to do that. But I feel like that's the challenge we come down is that it's celebrated in society to have one laser focus on something that actually doesn't promote balance whatsoever. And we never stop to reflect on it. So I guess that's my thoughts on your thoughts. And I think yeah, it's a pretty accurate assessment. <laughs>
1: And I'm not even sure that existential angst even goes away even after you do (laughs) um, explore a little bit more self-aware. But but you've really got me thinking on that as well, because I don't know, maybe maybe this is an ideal, an arbitrary utopia that a lot of us think, but that we just figure it out one day and it goes away. But I do think that existential angst kind of to some degree hangs over many of us, all our lives, regardless of the decision we make. But I I definitely agree. And, you know, you talk about Ronaldo and Bolt and people like that, you know, we don't know that they haven't said, I'm going to cut off these 20 years of my life and be the best. And I'm going to be the most balanced person on the planet after with all my money and all my fame and fortune. We've no idea anybody else's circumstance. We obviously compare ourselves, not across the spectrum, but to one, specific variable in other people's lives. But we can lose the best years in our lives trying to chase. Again, I go back to arbitrary ideal based on what's being presented to us. You know, you're you're spot on. Ronaldo can't be Ronaldo with my mentality. He can't do that because he can't go for Mexican and a pile of pina coladas on a Saturday night. He can't (laughs) do that if he wants to smash it against Villa and Leicester City on a Sunday. So I'm with you 100% on that one. But similarly, I can't be happy and fulfilled in my 30s you know, I love, I love my job and I love my career and I love my friends and I love my girlfriend. I can't be my best self living the fitness lifestyle I used to live in my twenties either. So it's evolution and it's change. And it's, it's also giving forgiveness in a sense. It might sound a tiny bit, maybe meta is not the right word, but a lot of us make a lot of grave mistakes. And then we spend almost times either beating ourselves up for it or being angry or going to the opposite extreme of what we used to think. I don't think negatively at all. I think actually rather positively in a weird way of what I used to think, because the, the mis- Information has made me the person and the trainer that I am today. It's probably made me a lot of a lot more empathetic to when I hear something that a client asks me, is it a stupid question? It's just knowledge they haven't learned yet. I'm not sure if I I would have that ability to empathize with somebody had I not been through my own experiences, for example. It's also given me a good foundation of fitness. Like the truth is that chasing that obsession, arbitrary ideal, has given me a good baseline that I can go for a couple of cocktails and a little bit of a takeaway once or twice a week and still hold a not terrible shape because I had, I did train in my twenties and I continue to train. I just don't do it with the same obsession. So, but you know, you almost forgiveness in any aspect is kind of that gift you give yourself. And I almost, in a strange way, I do very much forgive younger me for all the silliness he put current me through. And I'm actually quite grateful to the guy. I know child worker or, or, like inner child work is a big aspect of a lot of psychological practices, which I'm obviously no expert in, but these stuff, this kind of thing feels very intuitive to me to look back at younger me, look back at my inner child and talk to him and nurture him the way I would any child, my own child or someone else's 10 year old. So that's kind of important to address as well, just because you said existential angst that kind of immediately triggered that that thought process in me too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I wouldn't have categorized it as forgiveness for myself, although I think that I would would take a lot of value from doing a bit more forgiveness. But I completely resonate with the gratitude part. Like I'm very, very grateful for all the, you know, mistakes and things I put myself through. I often talk about my experience with like an 800 calorie diet, trying to get into shape for a photo shoot. And as stupid as it was and how much it, it kind of messed me up, both physically and mentally, I look back and I'm like, I'm grateful for that idiotic young 20 year old who did it because of now I can relate to my clients and tell them, Hey, you really don't want to go down this route and you don't want to do what I did. And, you know, it's not from a, oh, I'm so special. I did this. It's more from a sense of like, no, genuinely, it's not a smart thing to do. And it doesn't have to be that extreme, but it might be, you know, someone's version of that might be dropping to 1500 calories or just not feeling that great and deciding actually I'm cool with my arbitrary number of 12% body fat versus 9%, for example. So yeah, incredibly grateful for that. And, um, I, I want to dive into your experience of coming out of that. So you are you mentioned you were deeply obsessed, and now obviously you very much promote the uh you're not anti-diet, because I don't I don't want to I wanna preface that because that's a completely different thing. Uh, but you are very much against the dieting mentality and culture. Is that a fair way of assessing it?
1: One of the quotes that I put on my very first blog, the fine line between mastery and obsession was talking about this idea that my first conscious delve into any kind of introspection was to ask myself, why was I always either on the diet or off the diet with no middle ground? So it really to simplify and to cut a long story very short, it very much came down to me tattooing on my brain that if you refuse to get back on the diet, you cannot be off the diet. That to get on the diet by definition means you can fall off it. And it's more of a mindset. It's more of a call forward to stop seeing it as something that you are all on or all off and instead see it across a spectrum of something that you're adherent to. So you might be very adherent, not adherent, not a priority currently. Maybe it's a super priority, but it Yeah, to say I'd be anti-diet is is obviously, it's not true in the context. I believe anti-diet is a specific movement of people that believe intentional weight loss is harmful. That's not true. That's a nonsense claim. Absolutely. That's nonsense. What I think is better to say is when you try and hit a goal without understanding the underlying principle, the opposite of the desired result is more likely. And I wish that the anti-diet movement would almost update their philosophy to go along with that, because they're making some crazy claims now about how all weight loss is impossible or harmful or it's nonsense. It's absolutely garbage. As someone who's been through every single spectrum that you can imagine. And someone who, and like yourself, has every reason to turn somewhat bitter against dieting. It's not the dieting. That's not the problem. That's a problem with thermodynamics. The problem was me, my views to it, my absolutes, my need for control, all of that stuff. So yeah, to, absolutely not anti-diet, but it's more of a case of, if you stop getting back on the diet, you won't fall off it. And if you understand the underlying principles as to how something works, you can choose how to manipulate them and when to manipulate them based on a goal you wish to achieve. And it sounds like some crazy drastic change in life, but realistically, it's a massive mindset shift, but it's a tiny action shift in a way. It just basically promotes this idea of being a tiny bit more flexible within the parameters of the the constraints you set for yourself. That's how I see it.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Actually, I've never considered how minimal the action changes was, right? If you actually look at, I think this is probably why people have a misconception of people like myself and yourself is that, you know, my actions on a day to day basis from Monday to Friday, I'm probably going to still eat very, very similarly. I'm probably just not going to weigh things to the gram. I'm probably just not going to, you know, avoid eating out at all costs on a weekend. So it's just a very small shift in action. But generally, largely, 80% of it's very much the same. But the biggest shift happened within the mindset of not being controlled by it per se. So I think that's, that's a good point to make. So with someone who is far down that rabbit hole, because if, as humans, we tend to go for one extreme or the other. And this this is the whole point, right? And um, just go off a little tangent here. Chris Williamson talks about a concept called the return to the inner citadel, which is essentially when you have gone down a route, it didn't work for you, just like potentially we could have out as like, you know, we got this really bitter feeling from dieting and because it didn't quote unquote work for us, or we didn't have a positive experience with it. We go in the complete opposite direction and say, you don't want to do this anyway. None of this works because of either we did not find a way to make it work, or we just have this really bitter experience and we are hundred percent against it. So for people who are maybe there, or maybe who are just deep down that rabbit hole right now, borderline obsessed, uh, however we wanted to find that, how do they start making their way out there into somewhere in the middle?
1: It's a great question. And, you know, I can't to kind of go back to something you said about the return to the inner citadel. I can think of few things more arrogant than to assume that your lived experience is going to be everybody's experience with a certain concept. I think it's absolutely insane to say, here's a concept that physics has dictated, but I didn't like it. Therefore it's bad. (laughs) It's it's insane, is it? Yeah, Yeah, it's crazy. Do you know what I think? If I if I'm in positions where I work with people like that, and I don't advertise this publicly because it's it's quite a delicate topic. Obviously, I don't advertise this publicly, but there are people that would jump on top of it. I think it's very important instead to to just engage in conversations with people. And again, I'll probably go back to this a lot throughout the podcast. Certainly, throughout my life, I think people need to have we all need to have some kind of process by which we introspect and reflect on our beliefs. Where are we getting our beliefs from? Emotional reasoning to to almost give it a name or to you know to put a title on it. It sounds a lot to me like a significant amount of traps happening simultaneously, emotional reasoning being one, maybe catastrophizing, maybe black and white thinking. So like this food is bad, therefore I'm going to gain a lot of weight and I can trust this feeling as an absolute universal truth and it's definitely correct. And that can kind of lead people down this spiral of probably having too much faith in how they feel in their own thoughts with regard to food and not necessarily contesting and challenging beliefs. Like one principle of science is it's a self-correcting form of Finding more truth. It's there's no absolute truth. There's just better evidence with every kind of finding, so to speak. So if if you took your knowledge to the best nutritional scientists in the world, and I'm talking about me here now as well, like you, I could I could be picking any personal trainer, but if you told me, Paul, you're going to present to the world's best nutritional expert tomorrow, I'd be embarrassed. I, I'd be like that's a something I would have as a, a nervous endeavor on my shoulders because they will know so much more than me and they'll be aware of the, like the constraints of their own ignorance. Whereas to be kind of, ultimately to have certainly what, I have found with my client base and myself, when you go down the rabbit hole of that really fearful eating, it's because you've too much weight on the false evidence you've been given. And perhaps you haven't learned to obviously navigate your own emotions, but perhaps too, you haven't learned to critique your own thoughts. How do you know what you think is true? Don't be so certain what you think is true. Even just have to relate it back to some of the stuff I've believed before anything, everything from training, nutrition, all the way to some of my views on society, they've all changed. Just consulting with that alone is enough to say, well, never get too caught up in what you think, never get too high in your own supply. It's obviously easy to say this on a podcast talking to you, but once you begin that journey of self-reflection and introspection and you use it as a frequent process, maybe journal prompts, I know that's quite a popular thing. It's not something mm-hmm. I personally use myself. I think that is a great start because that false certainty I suspect is what holds a significant amount of the pain that we continue to reside in when we're stuck in these traps. The now obviously there there it depends on the the level of them you know there are very real considerations there are very real eating disorders and conditions like that that are far beyond what I could even address and obviously I don't shouldn't need to preface but I'm not talking here I'm talking people who went down a similar route to me who maybe have gotten a bit caught up in a bit of nonsense who maybe trusted that nonsense a bit too much didn't have the Maybe you'd argue emotional maturity to sit and reflect. Maybe it didn't have a value system. You know what? Now, if I started a new endeavor today, forget fitness. Now, if I started a new endeavor today at 31 years old, probably the first thing I'd ask is, is it going to eat into the things I love to do enough that it'll be worth it or not worth it? As opposed to blindly jumping into something new, blindly jumping into a new diet and then possibly going down the rabbit hole there because I haven't actually considered the effects it has. And, you know, I could spend all day talking about this, but I've rarely been in a position with a client where I've seen calories and macros as the definitive problem within the context of the reason of perception of lack of dietary freedom or dietary results. There's a lot more to it than that. But all of that kind of encapsulates a little bit of my philosophy. Obviously to say anti-diet is definitely not true. I I suspect from just even the way I'm looking at you now that you feel similar enough that not overly pro diet, not overly anti diet, but just more. Where is that individual at, and how do you find a way to like interview or you know motivationally interview that person to get the best out of them, so that they can get the best for themselves long after when their life, Elliot, the, the the life with Elliot, the life with Paul, chapter of our client's life is tiny compared to the life without, and setting them up for even just a more educated thought process is putting them in an infinitely better position than to just blindly lead them onto a 12-week diet, ultimately.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And yeah, like I said, nodding along at every single point because I feel like it's just about... I mean, I think it starts with us as coaches, if the client has a coach, to be able to take our experiences... With as little bias as we can place on them, which is actually a hard thing in itself, because um, we're always going to lean towards one side or the other. But it's about trying to find ourselves in that middle ground as much as possible, presenting both sides to that individual, and then allowing them to make their own educated choice. But also with the preface that you you kind of have to gauge their own self awareness and their own introspection. And you know, there will be certain people you work with. You're like, you know, they're just going to take everything I say as gospel here. So I do need to tell them the caveats. I need to go down these certain um, rabbit holes and go through the nuances because of they're going to take everything I say as gospel. Whereas there's other people who might be a little bit more open to thinking, oh, actually, you know, I know what Elliot said, but let me question this back to him or let's question this within myself. And I think that's the way forward. But I'm I'm 100% like we still do health and fitness coaching, right? I'm still taking people through weight loss. And I and I, as long as I do coaching for it, I don't ever see myself going away from that. I couldn't be further from anti diet as possible. And it's always they use both ends of extremes where people tend to have, you know, that, that, that tends to be where all the challenges come from in any certain situation in life. And that is just another one with the anti-diet culture as well. So that would be my thought process on it. And something that I liked that you said on a podcast that I'd like you to go into is that you just mentioned about food being good or bad. And you actually described it as contextually optimal or contextually suboptimal. Can you explain that a little bit more because of yeah, you used the donut analogy. I don't know if you remember it, but it landed well with me. So I'd like you to share that if you remember it.
1: I have an opinion very much on this and it goes even a tiny bit deeper than the, the donut thing. And I actually do remember that analogy. That was one of two I thought you were referring to. So there's an idea that I really like that we should strive to unmoralize everything, meaning we should take the words good or bad or right versus wrong away from any argument so that it doesn't subliminally put us into camps. Well, if I think dieting is good and you think it's bad, we're immediately at odds with each other. So to strive to take good or bad away from all things that need to be considered in a very intelligent manner. And I mean, the best that I've been able to come up with in my own mind is contextually optimal or suboptimal, depending on on the the goal now, you could argue there's a scope and a range of practicality. Forget optimal, there's practicality as well. Ultimately, I, I heard Danny Lennon say from Sigma Nutrition say something before that sugar was bad. It actually started the spinning the screws in my head about sugar initially when I when I thought sugar was bad too. But if you think sugar is bad, what about? a baby that's breastfeeding? What about a diabetic that's gone completely uh, hypoglycemic and sugar might save their life? You know, what about fruit? And immediately that just changes the, the subtext that is sugar bad? Bad for who? Bad when? Bad in what quantity? Bad in what context? Bad always? Bad for everyone. And it just opens up these kind of conversations to, going back to what we were saying where you're too certain in your own beliefs, Nothing is inherently good nor bad without a context to which it applies, and you you're absolutely spot on there you know you you did say a moment ago that if you're somebody who's maybe getting a degree of exposure therapy for disordered eating patterns, definitely factoring in more of the low nutrient variety kinds of foods is probably going to be very practical and optimal for you if you're somebody who might benefit from a period of adherence to a dietary restraint, it might be optimal for you to actually control that intake and and not have it and to say no. One of my mates here has a personal trainer and her personal trainer has a kind of a, a philosophy that I actually really like. She's a very nice personal trainer, very empathetic. And sometimes she'll say to her clients, look, I know you're going to go out and enjoy yourself. So my one request is just to say no to one thing, just one thing tonight and and let that be what it is. And my friend will often say no to the first drink and she'll have a water. And she's like, there you go. I've kind of said no. And that's just her increasing her level of mindfulness and her level of awareness around a decision. It might sound tiny, but I actually think it's a really good strategy to employ with somebody who doesn't necessarily want to alter their social life. So yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think it really is worth exploring with any idea that we unmoralize it, good versus bad, not to get down any kind of rabbit hole away from nutrition, because partly because I never talk about this kind of stuff publicly and I don't want to now. But when I used to do Spanish lessons, I used to speak to my Spanish teacher about capitalism versus socialism. And we used to speak about which one we kind of felt would have a better bearing on society. And it's so easy when you hold different opinions to go good versus bad. I found myself in the mindset of, did I want to hear? disproving opinions that she might be able to put within me so that I can advance my opinion? Or do I just want to be right? And even I noticed that if we left out good versus bad and talked about what might be contextually optimal in a given circumstance versus suboptimal elsewhere, that, that made the conversation deeply more insightful, more respectful, and neither of us felt on edge. Now, I don't think either of us actually came around to changing our opinion based on the evidence presented, but it was a really fun endeavor. And we spoke about it for lesson upon lesson. And because she, she didn't come in and be like, this is good and you're stupid, which happens in a lot of debates and happens in a lot of conversations, e- even passively, you're eating Fruit? That's stupid. You're eating like everything. Apparently, is fattening nowadays. It was just chocolate and sweets, and it was carbs, and it was fats, then it was fruit. Now too much protein will go straight into like. What are we supposed to eat? Fresh air, you know. So if we do take away the idea of good and bad in every context, and I actually think this can go to every conversation, and we can actually strive to inform our opinion in a much better place. There's a blog by oh, what's his name? Someone Graham. It's called How to Disagree, and I recommend reading it. It's basically all the ways in which you might be attacked without anybody actually critiquing your viewpoint. It's definitely worth having a read on. It's definitely not... I mean, you asked me something a lot more trivial than that in terms of food, but that's definitely worth having a read. How to disagree by, I think it's Paul Graham. But anyway, yeah, if we remove the idea of good or bad from anything and we talk about the context to which it will apply, I think we are in a much better place to make much more informed decisions. Nothing is good nor bad without the context. I always use an example of a knife. Are you buttering toast or are you stabbing someone? You know, these kinds of things really, really matter. You know, the knife is bad for who, when, how, what, in what context and I suppose this, the reason I'm passionate about it, and you might be able to tell from my tone is if you'd have told me a knife was bad at 23, I would have probably thrown all my knives away. and am like, okay, what next? So forget the good, bad thing. Maybe you like it so much that even if it was terrible, like if you tell a cigarette smoker smoking is bad, is that really going to stop them smoking? Is that really helpful? But you just can't quite fear monger around cigarettes, even though they call it, they're associated with cancer, the way you can fear around food, because people just don't seem to have that sense of courage in their own convictions around food. So if you can make people more informed thinkers, if you can help people form their own arguments better, or even submit advice givers into defeat with a series of why, how does that work questions, what happens then, bad for who, then I think we can actually have an informed diet practice. Plus from a purely baseline psychological perspective, nobody likes being told what to do. People like having
0: their thoughts provoked and then they'll change their own minds. Absolutely. Wow. That was a, uh, that was a lot. And I couldn't agree more. Oh, with... Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, with It's really insightful. I'm just trying to think about where I can go first. But I think the first point that came to mind was neutrality, right? And it's all about bearing in mind that we're incredibly emotional people. Like, I think we like to think that we're rational. We're quite level headed for the most part. We're incredibly emotional and our, a lot of our life, life circumstance in the early stages of our being are going to dictate a lot of our opinions are our thoughts on the world and unless that gets brought into question then we will go throughout life just continuing to make them a self-fulfilling prophecy right we just continue to find evidence to support these beliefs and whether or not we like them or not they are our beliefs so we stand by them and you know there's been you've probably seen it before it's like there was i don't know who was telling this story but you know there was this cult of people in somewhere in the 70s or 80s about this like the aliens coming to earth right and you know they were all believing this thing this believing this thing they never arrived and then someone made up something about how they transmitted a message to the earth to say that they couldn't make it and they got to come another time and they would just they would live and die by their beliefs right they would live and die they would rather be you know completely they would rather believe their own bs basically than to submit to being wrong uh, right and i think that it really comes down to to emotional maturity, I think is a big one. I think some of the most fascinating conversations I've had is with someone with an opposing viewpoint where I have been able to drop my guard and say, well, let me just listen to this person and try and see where they're coming from. And as you mentioned with your Spanish teacher, you didn't change your viewpoints on socialism or capitalism. You just decided to hear from their perspective. And it was actually a lot more interesting. You probably gained a ton more value as well. right? And in ways it might have even solidified your argument as well, because you might be like, oh, I heard what she said there, but that was was a little bit flawed. I'm not going to, I'm not going to scold her for it, but I'm going to take that into my arsenal now and that's going to present my argument in a little bit of a better light in the future as well. So yeah, so many different places we can go down there. But that does bring me on to the next aspect, which is your self-awareness. You strike me as an incredibly self-aware person. You're able to exude that self-awareness and... You know that metacognition from your content, from the conversation we're having right now. So, where did that journey begin? Was there a specific point in which it changed for you, or was it specific amount of moments that all built up to one bigger change?
1: Uh, uh, no, there's. I'd be, I'd be lying and probably collecting a pile of romanticized memories from the past, completely glossed over with my rose-tinted vision, if I were to say there's one particular moment. I think it's just spending time with the right kind of people, man, and, and listening to the right kind of content and reading the right kind of books. But more importantly, practice. You know, I remember one time a good friend of mine was going through a breakup and she said, what book would you read? And I said, I wouldn't bloody read anything. I'd feel my emotions. And I mean, you know, I'm not knocking reading, Reading's amazing, but sometimes you just have to get, you know, get your hands dirty a little bit, don't you? So there's no one specific moment. And I even hesitate to say I'm self-aware, but it's a, it's a certainly a value I strive for because I think it's a very important value. You know, for example, again, something I don't really talk about often, but when I used my Spanish teacher and having conversations with her, she actually helped me evolve. I wouldn't say change, but evolve my opinion on things like feminism and social activism, because all I was ever exposed to previously I had never really conversed with somebody who wasn't like just an out and out man-hating feminist. So I had the assumption that feminists were just batshit crazy before I spoke to her properly about it. And I remember she said some things and I thought, oh, that's challenging, but carry on. And she had some great points. And again, she she certainly didn't change my opinion on the concept because I think it's very nuanced, but she definitely helped evolve us. And she brought it forward a lot to the point where My opinion is informed now that I just won't speak about it for fear of making myself look ignorant unless I absolutely know that what I'm contributing is a better thing than if I left my mouth shut. So that's, that's one example, like, because I'm spending, I spent whatever it was, four lessons a week with her for a year. One tiny example. My friends are great people for helping me do that. One of my friends in Vietnam used to come out with these little pearls of wisdom. We'd just be looking, we'd be in the gym together in Vietnam training. And this is a very quiet guy, very off the radar, has private Instagram less than hundred followers, small group of friends, very smart guy. Like he knows what he wants. And he was looking at this lovely villa to, with a pool to, to move away to. And I, he, he just said, would you be interested in moving to this town? If a group of us did it, you know, maybe plan, have our friend circle there. That'd be great crack. And I said, God, you move fast. And he goes, life is all about deciding what you want and figuring out a route to get there. And I was just, I just heard that and I went, yeah, you're right you're absolutely right. And I think most people let fear stand in the way or they let someone else's opinion stand in the way. Maybe you should be becoming a doctor or the weight of a family member or a lack of confidence or courage. So there's absolutely no one thing because I would hesitate to use the term self-awareness, but I think it's been a commitment to practicing the uncomfortable kind of experience of weighing up where I'm wrong, where my opinion might be incomplete. Also the, the knowledge that I've never met anybody on the planet whose opinion has been all complete. Like I follow a guy, Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you, you follow him and and I would be a fan of a lot of his work his opinions aren't all complete I don't listen to everything he says and want to you know I don't do everything and and whatnot so that helps a lot just knowing that everything i hold can be expanded upon can be improved upon that the that'll be largely dictated by the people I listen to the ideas i entertain the conversations I have so that's been a very important part of my life is making sure that I do find ways to get challenged you mentioned confirmation bias earlier and even just I'd heard it 101 different times, but one way I heard it phrased that I loved and that really struck me was confirmation bias is basically you know, yourself seeking what you, seeking to prove what you already believe. But then it was followed on by saying, if you do not actively seek to challenge this, you will subconsciously live that in autopilot every single day until you actively reflect. And I thought, wow, that's powerful because what am I doing that I haven't reflected on? You know, the stuff that I have considered, what about what I haven't considered? What about what I haven't considered that I haven't considered? And I could, you know, you could go down all these rabbit holes, you know, what about the stuff that has never become apparent to me? And yeah, man, it's just, it's just a case of, of making sure that I have for some people it's journaling. A lot of people have, you know, do well with journal prompts. For other people, it's very thought-provoking conversations. I think you might agree. I think a lot of people don't do very well with having their ideas challenged. They feel it like it's an intellectual threat to their intelligence. But I see it as a very good thing. My argument needs to be robust. If my argument isn't robust and I don't like how you're challenging me, I can dismiss you. Oh, I don't like your tone. You're rude. But that's not me defending my point. That's not me making a very intelligent argument if I was able to make an intelligent argument, I would say, well, actually evidence doesn't go along with your logic, but, you know, have
0: at it. So yeah, and of things that help people um, are identifying with their beliefs, right? So it's not that you're at- att- attacking their belief; it's that you're attacking them as a person because if they are so closely in touch with that, and it's everything they are. And I think once you, like you mentioned, you step away from it, you're you're able to challenge your belief before someone does, and you're also able to separate it from your identity. You don't see it any longer as a personal attack, right?
1: identity a hundred percent. I think that's a great word to use in this context. I think there's too much, I I think it's the cause of a lot of suffering. A lot of the societal thing between all this stuff in societies, like all the, you know, uh, very controversial stuff, you know, cancel culture and whatnot, because people are identifying way too much at one particular facet of their identity and getting very offended when that's challenged in any way. I, I very much agree with that. And also other people tend to present themselves in such a way that you tend to admire or not admire as much. And I don't know about you, but... I see certain people who come across a certain way. And I think that's a really attractive, endearing way to come across. I hope I come across like that to certain people as well. You know,
0: yeah, that kind of way. Absolutely. And that's what I love about these podcasts as well. It's funny. Um, I had a conversation with Stuart Sanderman, who's a breathwork expert um, just a couple of weeks ago. And I got off the call and I was just like, I'd like to be a little bit more like Stuart. You know, he's just like very calm, very collected. His energy was very natural. It wasn't like he put on anything at all. It was like, you felt this, this sense of endearment and, This sense of care and compassion, which I think a lot of people try to put on, but it just felt so innate. So anytime I see like ounces of that in people, I'm just like, Oh, I'd like a little bit of that in me with my own spin. And I think that's ultimately what creates your character and identity. And I think if you've got the, the ability to step back and actually admire traits in other people, which I don't, I think we're actually usually quite against unless they are an elk of Cristiano Ronaldo or Kim Kardashian. Like we don't like to admire people who are maybe within our reach because we see them as competition. Right. But if we are able to just just look at the people around us, we can probably mimic and, um, you know, take aspects of them even more effectively because of their example is so close to us. Right. Whereas, you know, you might want to relate to Cristiano Ronaldo, but you, you know, when we look at the degrees of separation, it's probably much further than the person in your friend group who you like their way of arguing or their emotional maturity, for example, as well. And, um, Coming on to that next part, and also the self awareness, you mentioned that you don't like the word self aware or describing yourself as it. I like to say it as having an ounce of consciousness, just an ounce, not, not that much more. So, so, so that's what I would describe you as, and it's kind of what I like to maybe half an ounce of myself. So yeah, that's kind of the route I would go down. Do you know what,
1: uh, thank you for that. It's very kind. One, one thing I find very attractive and endearing in people it's definitely had a big impact on me is if it's authentic, and obviously I'm using my intuition with that one, I love when people are very aware of the role their own ego plays in their level of consciousness. Because if you notice people who talk about that kind of stuff and they do it very authentically and they do it from a very knowledgeable place, they'll, they're very aware that it's their own perception of the world that guides the reality. They're very aware that we're all projecting our lived reality and our lived experience. It's just some of us are better at catching that and being aware. And probably most importantly, those people are very good at not f- pointing the finger out or when they get tempted to, they usually do point the thumb back in. That's, I would love to say something like, oh, they don't judge. I don't think that's possible. I think we all judge, but they seem to be very aware of the role that their ego plays in their consciousness. And, and, you know, that kind of self-identified I in these autopilot behaviors, that's something I find particularly worth aspiring to. And it's something that I pay te- a lot of attention to. And by no means have I had cracked or anything like that, but just it's it's very obvious to me when you meet somebody who has that real sense of awareness around it. You know, there's a certain tranquility and a certain acceptance. And I find that a very nice trait.
0: I agree. And I think I think the reason that they put off such a good energy and aura is the fact that when you don't accept that, you tend to be a lot more critical and harsh with yourself. But I think if you, like you just said, it's impossible to judge people. So if you accept the fact that you judge people, but to the best of your ability, you try and take a step back and you reflect on that yourself. You don't scold yourself once again, but you say, okay, Elliot, was that a nice thing to say? Can we we reframe this a little bit? And then, you know, there's a lot more of that forgiving nature to themselves. And I think then they exude that energy as well. So I, I completely agree. And coming to a more actionable standpoint, how do you apply this with your clients with the work that you do because of, you know, a lot of people look at health and fitness coaches and a lot of health and fitness coaches are just training and nutrition as you uh, described your coach back in the past, walking encyclopedia, incredibly intelligent uh, when it came to this knowledge. But missing that kind of personal element, which I think is key for general population. I know it has been in my work as well. So how do you practically apply your learnings to your clients? And have you seen them take on specific aspects that you've done your best to impart on them?
1: Well, I think some trainers are going to be good for some clients and others, not so much,
0: you know, me and you could be presented with the exact same
1: person. She she or he is going to gravitate to one of us more than the other. I think that's a very normal practice. But yeah, I I see this kind of work well with the people who are naturally gravitated towards me. And, you know, I don't know if it's because are they attracted to me because of the way I speak in my podcast and my content or, you know, do they work with me? And then these conversations become apparent, you know, kind of chicken egg scenario. But yeah, I think particularly in the last couple of years, a lot of people that I've worked with have definitely been ready to perhaps have levels of their their bias challenged. I try and work quite closely with people as best I can. I, I, I'm obviously not for everybody and I'd love to pretend everybody's been a, a raging success story, but that's just not the nature of personal training. But it, it does tie into it because of the structure and the way I work it. I do try and get people to, it's way too cliche to say have a compelling why, because I actually don't think you need a, like nutrition is about, like food is, food is the thing we need to keep us alive. It's always going to be there. We need it to the day we die. So your why is going to take you to the Ballon d'Or if you're Ronaldo. For me, for nutrition, I do think you actually need more of a, you know, how are we, it practical, how are we going to get you the approach you want? How are we going to keep food off the mind 24 seven? How are we going to keep an element of routine and stop the wheels perceivably falling off when they might have done other approaches? What rea- realistic approach do we need to take so that there's no perception of over-restriction? But whilst we do it, that you have to exercise restraint or if you don't understand that there's a consequence and if you're okay with that, then that's fine. And you don't complain about lack of results. And I don't mean that in a cold unempathetic way. I absolutely don't. I mean that in a very practical, you decide everything, but you're doing it from knowledge. You're doing it from principles. You're doing it from, you know, an actual understanding. Like you can't have an opinion on calorie balance. You don't get that opinion. It exists. It happens, but you can decide to what level you want to manipulate it. One little philosophy that I've been encouraging a lot of people to sit with is just to make sure in your pursuit of external knowledge, you don't forget to add in the internal wisdom. It's been a a staple in my own life. So again, Here are your exact calories, Elliot. Go eat them for six weeks. And then next Tuesday happens. The internal wisdom part is going to be the decision you make and then the mentality you make around that decision. So don't be emotionally two places at once. If you decide to indulge and deviate from your protocol, the constraints of your protocol, and you decide to do that, do it. If you decide not to, don't do it, but don't do it and and regret it. And then don't not do it and wish you could. That's emotionally two places at once. It's exhausting. Once you've made the decision, accept it. And these are the elements of personal wisdom. Like again, money. The external knowledge is knowing that you cannot spend more than you have and save money. That cannot exist. That is external knowledge. That's not up for debate. But the internal wisdom is after you've saved your bit, what are you going to spend your own cash on? Because I don't know what you should buy. It's a silly little analogy. Most of them are, but they kind of tend to cross over well. And that that's kind of how it, in my work, certainly that's how it transfers over. Um, if people are looking for this you know, diet plan and, and a training program. And a kind of a once a week check-in system from me, that kind of way. And I'm not knocking that at all. Like that genuinely not knocking that. If some coaches do that, that's great, but that's not my style. I prefer to do a little bit more work first on the kind of the, the reasons behind a lot of the dietary decisions, that kind of stuff. And I tend to work with a lot of people who have that disordered eating past and who need work on the relationship with food side of things. And to be honest, that is my passion. That's what I like. It's what I enjoy. I'm not interested as much in getting people down to 8% body fat anymore. Some coaches are amazing at that and some clients are ready for that. And that's a phenomenal mix if that's you have at it, but that's the beauty of the personal trainer spectrum. You know, many of us have our attention on different kinds of things. So yeah, that's where it kind of comes into my work. It's just in the context of conversations, to be honest with you, If it's video chats or Zoom chats or Skypes, or I got called a dinosaur for using Skype last week, actually. So I don't know if that's a, or even just maybe a WhatsApp text or a voice bubble. I just like to to make sure that these are all happening in the context of conversations. So it's a big player in the work that I do, but similar to me and you right here, no one on one interaction is ever identical. And I kind of thrive on that.
0: I really love the individual aspect. Yeah. I completely agree. And I think one of the things that you touched on there, and I think it's effective with any goal setting is starting with the end in mind, but not thinking the end is being in shape. It's beyond that. It's like, okay, where, where do we ultimately want to be? And like you said, with not having food on your mind, with this being something that's actually on the back burner and just being able to be maintained quite comfortably and then working back from there versus working back from the holiday, the wedding, etc. And then, as you've mentioned, just asking the question and getting people to actually think about it, right? Because if, again, I can tell you, or anyone can tell you, I want X amount of money in my bank account. And then you ask why. You're like, well, it's a good amount of money. But why is it a good amount of money? Because X and A and then I think it's just about digging into that and then finding the real reason and then maybe redefining what the goal actually is because it might not be abs. It might be, so like you said, just be in shape, fit comfortably in your t-shirts and not have to worry about food anymore, right?
1: Exactly. And it's funny you say that about things. I've I've noticed as, <clears throat> as I've managed to get past some limitations in my life, my business life, I've had to stop and ask myself once or twice, are my new goals becoming egocentric? And would I still do them if you couldn't pat me on the backside and tell me I was pretty at the end of it. So I've had to check in with that kind of stuff too. So this is not something I sit in some kind of ivory tower preaching. Oh, look how much I've caught my ego and you should too. This is, this is a, I'm very much, there's a reason I'm talking about all this kind of stuff. It's because I've met every single mistake in the book. Whatever about your goals, there'll always be an element of external validation. I think it's naive to pretend that we're not, we don't want it in any shape way, or form. It's more is the intrinsic motivation, the intrinsic reason behind it. Yeah. We're actually striving for it more so because if it's not, then you're in big trouble.
0: Absolutely. I was having a conversation with a client of mine um, this Sunday for this next podcast, actually. And I said to him, and we shared the same thoughts. It's like, it's nothing wrong with starting this journey for aesthetic reasons. I started for aesthetic reasons and it got me to where I was today. It's just being aware that that's probably going to evolve and you don't want to hang on to your initial why for too long. And you also need to be very honest because I think that a lot of people, and I said this on the podcast as well, they come across with these grandiose reasons why they're doing it. I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it to be a better husband. But actually, they just want to look better than the guy in the office. They want to take off their shirt and not be, you know, uncomfortable with what they see. So I'm like, lean into what's true to you in that moment and just try and be aware that there might be an egocentric side to it. But if it's still there once you've kind of sift through all your BS, then amazing, keep at it. If that's going to motivate you, then go for it because of what you'll find is once you get to that point, you'll find that that's no longer meaningful. And as we usually work out, it's usually the pursuit of the goal versus the actual goal. And then we can start leaning into, oh, actually, what actually matters, right? And same aspect with, and I gave this example again, philanthropy. It's like, it's great if you want to be a philanthropist, but... What happened if you don't have any money in the bank? Yes, you can give some time, but wouldn't it be great if you acquired all these riches first because you were really motivated by money and then you could actually make more of a meaningful impact. So don't lean away from it. If it seems vain, if it seems egocentric, just be aware of it, lean into it and just be aware that it's going to evolve at some point and you just got to be ready to accept that change, I think.
1: There's also absolutely, like you say, there's nothing wrong with being motivated by feeling and looking sexy. Absolutely. That, that's, and think that's a lot of the kind of the mainstream message now. It is almost an element of shaming for people for, for wanting to look sexy or wanting to lose body weight or change their physical shape. But I'm with you 100%. I also do think whatever about whether it does fulfill you or not. You just have to make your own mistakes in life. Sometimes it doesn't matter what a schmuck like me says in a podcast, (laughs) you need to go and figure this out. Maybe, maybe all the mistakes I made on the end of that journey is what will fulfill the hell out of you. Who the hell knows? And and vice versa. So it it is ultimately a lot of sharing perspectives on certain ideas and having someone go, yeah, I kind of relate to what he said there, but I think he was wrong here or or just wrong everywhere. You know, that it's sharing potential perspectives to someone who might need to hear it. But for other people, in a sense, you know, certain goals might fulfill the hell out of you and have at it as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah. And Paul, I have no doubt you've been here when you've given a client your exact rundown of the situation that you've been in. And although you've given them that knowledge three, four, five, six, seven times, they do the exact thing you told them not to, and they make the exact same mistake that you do. Right. So it's going to happen. And I think that. Sometimes experience has to be the teacher. It can't always just be this insight that you gain from a podcast. So, the one question I have for you on um, this kind of last topic of self awareness is you spoke about boundaries, and something that I thought was really insightful that you said is that a lot of people will say yes and keep saying yes and won't put boundaries in place because they think they're a nice person, but it's just that they're actually insecure. They're actually more concerned about being someone who says no and what people think of them. So they paint this picture that they are actually, you know, just this giving and loving person, which they might be, but it's actually littered in insecurity as opposed to, you know, anything grandiose or selfless.
1: Yeah. And I would stand by that because I consider that kind of people pleasing nature to be a very subliminal uh, attempt to control what people think of you. Agreed. And yeah. And I think boundaries are a very necessary part in life. I know this is delving, you know, into the psychological side of things. But I think these are aspects that really affect all human beings. And, you know, there's certainly as far as I'm concerned, I think, I think of boundaries in almost three ways. I think of the kind of the rigid and unbreakable boundaries where it's, these are my beliefs and nobody's breaking them. And they're very detrimental in my opinion to most things in life, relationships, et cetera. I think if you're too rigid and unbreakable, you leave yourself, I was going to say open to, but actually closed to a lot of life's opportunities, in my opinion. Then you have kind of loose and undefined boundaries, which is basically anybody who tramples hard enough will trample all over you. And then you have a more of a personalized sense of what I would argue to be authenticity. And that's kind of having a, basically a set of conditions that you hold with yourself, basically that make your life better. And therefore the lives of those around you to be better. And I think it's very easy for the, you know, I talked about the ego earlier. People smart people who understand the ego have very much taught me that your ego will create the story that you're a really nice person because you let people walk all over you and you're people pleasing. That's because of all the goodness in your character. That's not nice. Nice is giving when you have the option and the courage not to, and then decide to give. Giving because you're not strong enough currently to say no is not nice. It's weak. And you know, that's a very strong sentence to say, but it's true. And for that reason, I absolutely consider boundaries. I talk about this a lot with my girlfriend, like we talk about it quite a bit, but boundaries and values are two of the most important words I think you'll ever talk about in your life. And this, this is just a personal thing, but boundaries, I kind of loosely define as what I won't tolerate and values. I kind of define as what I'm moving towards. And I think they're two of the more important things to have in your life. Otherwise, otherwise, when life gets difficult, you're not going to quite know what you stand for. That's how I see it.
0: Yeah. So really valuable insight. And as soon as you said values, I was just nodding along because if that's what I link them both to, right? I feel like once you have your boundaries, no, once you have your values in place, sorry, you're able to create boundaries based off of those things because of you know what's important to you and you know what's not. And as you mentioned, if you don't stand for anything, or if you if you don't have things that you stand for, you don't really stand for anything. You can be blown in plenty of different directions and you might find yourself in a position where, you know, you're doing things or living a life that you don't particularly enjoy. But the it fundamentally just comes down to establishing what's important to me, what matters, and what will and I won't stand for, as you mentioned, right? A hundred
1: percent. I share share quick personal story that might make me sound heartless and cold, but (laughs) my sister, my sister recently gave birth and me and my sister is my best friend. She's the sweetest soul on the planet. I love her so much. And she said to me when we were talking, she said, we were going to ask you to be the godfather, but we want her daughter to be, if it ever happens to be raised by somebody who's going to be around Ireland because we don't want her daughter to ever have to leave Ireland. And I was like, yeah, that's, how I understand And She was unless you'd be willing to, unless you could see yourself living back in Ireland, if anything ever happened to us in, and take care of her. I said, no, me living in Ireland again in my life is out of the question. So if that's part of the prerequisite for to be the godfather, don't put me in there. I said, I'd love to be, I would do anything, but that's the only one, like it'll never happen. I'm not going to lie to you. And then she said, this is, this is why I love you. I can always, you know, you, I, I'll always depend on you to be very honest to me and, you know, uphold what you think. And it's, it's only a small little example, but I have friends that are in difficult situations with families, living situations, accommodations, shared rent ventures, where they haven't enforced the boundary that they're not happy. And then they're getting resentful to people for perceivably walking all over them. But these other people don't know they're walking all over them. So a lack of boundaries can feel like taking... getting taken advantage of. But realistically, there's been, there's absolutely been, like you said, there's no communication to, to suggest that there's been a space infringed upon. So me, just for example, laying that to my sister going, Hey, I'll do anything you ask except move back to Ireland. It is not happening. And that's just me putting down a, a very strong boundary and a very important boundary I would ask. And that's how a lot of families end up getting into a lot of conflict.
0: Yeah, well, what I can see in that is that I listen to your work and I know one of your values is freedom, right? So by having that value solidified, it makes what would usually be quite a hard, you know, hard decision to make. Like, like you said, your sister is your best friend. She's, you know, saying if something happens to me, look after my daughter or son. Like that's that's a big thing. But because of you already had this value in place, it made it a very easy decision. And that's where I think people miss a trick with uh values and boundaries. It's like you know, they might take a... It's hard because I do think that sometimes they're ever-changing, but we almost intuitively know what they are. So once you have them established, it just makes decisions in life so much more easier to navigate uh, than just floating on your emotions. Because of, let's say you were, you know, halfway across the world and you were actually missing your sister at the time. And you might have just said... Yeah, go on then. But actually deep down inside of you, you're like, no, I don't really want to do this. And then there's this inner conflict. But because you know what your values are, it became a decision that could have been really difficult to make. The one that became actually quite simple and your sister actually respected you for as well, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I don't know how that story would be received by people, but it's just, it's just one little tiny example of me of why they are so important. Because as you said, you can agree to these things in, in the moment and then ultimately you have to have a, a series of difficult conversations. But I actually think boundaries are a very important thing around food. For example, I think a lot of the time we talk about dietary freedom and the way it's portrayed in social media just to change topic slightly. And it's almost this thing of flexible di- It went from, you know, flexible dieting to if it fits your macros, all of a sudden to you can do anything you want without consequence, which is obviously not true. One of the ways in which I would encourage people to have maybe healthier dietary guidelines without the perception of punishment is hold yourself accountable to a set of boundaries and standards. You have You have boundaries around, I'm sure you're spending, probably have boundaries around, I mean, you absolutely have boundaries around your sex life. Not everybody gets to touch your body. Why wouldn't you have boundaries around your food intake if there's a result meaningful on the other end? And I just think boundaries are a really good recipe for anything meaningful in life. I don't know if you, you agree. It's something I suspect, I actually have no knowledge for this because it's presented in a very pop psychology way in social media. I'm just wondering if it's breeding. A lot of low-key narcissistic values in a lot of people where people are misreading it and then becoming intolerable as a result.
0: Yeah, I think the age of social media doesn't allow a lot of room for nuance. And I think I think that's the issue. So if you've already got someone who has a little bit of a proclivity towards narcissism and a little bit of self-obsession, then if you plant something like that in their mind and it lands in a way that kind of feeds into that narcissism, then you're gonna create you know, even more of a narcissist. But I think I don't necessarily think that it's making anything worse. I think it's just kind of the same way that alcohol makes you more of the person that you potentially could be if you just lose your inhibitions a little bit. So I think that the same with social media, right? So people like social media is the problem. I'm like, no, people are the problem, right? And there, yes, there, there could be a debate to say, let's put some boundaries in place, especially for younger people. But you know, people are going to do what they're going to do. And already if you've got proclivity towards that and you do and you're run by your ego, then there probably is a large amount of people who are fallen victims of that. But equally, I would like to think there's a large amount of people who are benefiting from that and who are actually looking into self-awareness and actually creating some good boundaries for themselves and not allowing people to walk over them. And it's for the better, ultimately. I hope anyway, maybe that's utopian view of no, the vial, true. But, I think you're yeah. right. I, no, I think
1: you're right. I think that's very true. I do think it's probably encouraging a lot more introspection than anything. It was just a, a thought that was on my mind, but I think you're actually right with that.
0: No, I, I think it comes back to the lack of nuance in social media. And I think everyone wants this black and white answer and comes back to black and white thinking again. But it's it's all contextual, as you said earlier, with the dieting side of things. It's all contextual, and you know your values on you know someone's other value, and I'm not sure how yours kind of map out in terms of a hierarchy. But someone's might be family right at the top, and they might disagree with everything you just said. They'd be like, "I'm going to sacrifice my personal freedom over everything." But that's where we have to just be open to say, "Well, this is Paul. This is his set of values. Clearly, he he obviously cares about his family. We can't take that away from him. But freedom ranks." I mean, by, the, by what you just said in your actions, I guess freedom ranks higher than family. Is that fair to say? That might be quite an absolute statement. Well, but
1: No, I mean, you'd, you'd have to judge me by my actions. I, suppose, I mean, I suppose it depends on how you... To define it if I would flip the argument back that it wouldn't be a particularly fair expectation of a family to put on you to sacrifice the stuff you want to do in life to be with them as well. So it really depends. I think if communication is clear and everybody's in agreement and everybody knows and respects the boundaries of the other people, then I think it's fine. Like, I mean, I've given you one tiny example of something that I've done in a no, like without you knowing or anyone knowing all the yeses that I've done, for example, or anyone that would have done any context. So but yeah, I agree. I mean, You're not wrong when like I choose personal freedom over pretty much everything else, but that's because I do subscribe to the idea that if you're not fully happy and fully content and fulfilled, then the system isn't as effective as it could be all around you. And be that as it may, I wouldn't be afraid of any judgment for it. It's, it's the... It's the choice I have
0: made. Yeah, maybe it's me trying to apply a black and white thinking to a situation that's definitely not that. that's a good uh, question. You got to probe. You got to
1: probe these things. (laughs) Like you said, social media doesn't, uh, you said social media doesn't offer a lot of nuance. It also offers a lot of people a chance to kind of chime in with what they disagree with without understanding tone. But I, I like this, man. I like when people present back difficult questions to you and really challenge you. Like it, it is quite a challenging thing to have someone say, you know, are, you, are your personal values then higher than that of your family? And it's like, well, based on my last story and the fact that I live in Spain, that's an argument you could make. Absolutely. I suppose it depends on what are the overall values of the family. Is it, you know, my parents, I've always, always wanted to live in Spain. And my parents were the first to tell me, first two people to send me, go get out of here, see the world do it. Like, don't come home until you're ready. Don't come home if you don't want to. So that's part of the conversation too, in a sense as well. So
0: it's, it's an interesting one to explore. Mm, absolutely. I think we can live our lives by hiding from what actually is truly important to us and saying things like we prioritize family. But I find that that eventually turns sinister if we don't actually lean into what truly means a lot to us because then we just grow resentful and all of that type of stuff. So I think actually, even though it might sound a bit harsher to most people listening or who haven't really had that thought process, it's actually you probably show up way better for your family because you're in line with your personal values versus you know just acting in alignment with someone. Else's.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure that sacrificing what you want to do because somebody else asked you to is actually necessarily valuing them. And it might seem like it on the surface, but we don't know that that's not Weakness and lack of boundaries masquerading as selflessness as well.
0: Agreed. Agreed. And just to wrap up on a few more questions, I mean, I could speak for hours. This has been deeply fascinating for myself personally. So I hope the listeners have gained just as much value. But if you had a final few, couple of messages uh, that you wanted to leave with people today, maybe just to apply in the context of their own health and fitness journey or their journey of personal development, what three things would you land on?
1: Uh, Okay. It's a good question. I suppose the first one I would offer is to, Have a practice of reflection, introspection, whatever you want to call it. Have a practice whereby you evaluate who you are, how you think, where your beliefs come from and lean into it, even where you're going. I don't know how you actually develop that practice because I reckon it looks very different to other people, but I think that's a very important thing. Uh, The second thing I would say is to always think about inclusion, rather than exclusion as a, like if you're planning your next diet, don't think about everything you can't have. Think about everything you need to include. Everything. If you need to include more vegetables, more fruits for the micronutrients, if you need to include your social life and your partying put that on there too. If you need to include date night, put that on there too. Think inclusion, think of all the aspects between the the nuts and bolts of health versus the more extraneous things or whatever you want to call them. Think of all everything that you need to have a good life and put an inclusion mindset rather than an exclusion mindset and it will be infinitely more rewarding and fulfilling. And the third thing would be, this is a good question. I suppose the one life changer for me that I started about five years ago is have one to three small promises that you fulfill every single day of your life that you can do in your worst day my weird necessity for them is could I do them in prison not that I plan on going to prison but mine is I've three small promises every day I will have a glass of water upon waking every day upon fail I will move my body whether it's a workout or just 20 steps in the kitchen I'll move my body physically and I will always eat a nutritious or a satiating first meal of the day and there are three small promises that I keep To myself, pretty much every single day without fail. I think the only one I've actually failed for the last five years was I've had a couple of like pastries for breakfast in certain holidays, but I don't mind that. But aside from that, I think having three small promises because even if your day gets away from you and it feels a bit heavy and shit, you can still say you kept the smallest of promises and you showed up for yourself in the smallest of ways. The introspection is because you're going to evolve and grow and develop, and you're going to need a way to consciously make that happen. And the inclusion is because a lot of us get tempted to very much exclude all things we love. But if you focus on more what you need to. include and you have that permission and, you know, absolute, yeah, we'll say constant permission to have and include anything you want in life. All of a sudden they don't, they don't get perceived as threatening. I get a lot of people that say, oh, I would love to start a new training regime, but I have a dinner out Saturday night and then Saturday week and Saturday week. So I can't get a smooth run. And I just think from a bird's eye view, if you're eating four meals a day and that's 28 meals a week, are you really saying you can't get strong or fit because one of your 28 meals a week is going to be in a hotel? Or is it because you, you're giving yourself an out to let that meal turn into a complete fuck it weekend? Because that's not the same thing. So these bigger picture kind of mindsets can be very helpful in the context of nutrition and to a degree, personal development. That's kind of... On the spot, they're the answers I'd give you today, knowing that if you
0: asked next week, it would probably change. Yeah, I think on the spot, that's a pretty solid set of answers and incredibly well-rounded as well. So thank you for those. And my final couple of questions. The first is, uh, what impact do you want to leave on the health and fitness industry?
1: What impact do I want to leave? I want people to never be on or off the diet. I want people to improve their relationship with food through escaping the diet bandwagon. If you cannot be off it, You cannot fall. If you cannot be on it, you cannot
0: fall off. it. Amazing. I think that's an incredible insight and it just adds to the 30 or 40, 50 incredible insights that you've left with us today. So the final thing I want to ask you is where can people connect with you? Where can they dive into your world a little bit deeper?
1: Uh, Instagram is probably the the easiest way. Paul Dermody PT. Uh, I also have a Medium account that I publish semi-frequently. And yeah, there's the place you can find me on Instagram. Amazing.
0: and Facebook. Add your podcast right
1: oh and my podcast yeah absolutely my girlfriend will kill me she's she's working with me now and she's trying to turn me into a more efficient marketer and a more efficient pretty much everything like i'm quite content at the moment which is a dangerous word man content is a dangerous dangerous word but my girlfriend's coming in very intelligent woman and she's trying to be like we can do this better advertise this better you know be more efficient here and i can see her holes but she'll kill me if she hears me not advertising the podcast long story short
0: Amazing. And she was featured on the podcast in the early stages, right? What yeah, happened to she,
1: that? She, she she just used to do it with me and then we just stopped. She stepped back from it. Uh, she was working with me prior when this all started. And then just because she had work commitments, she was she's a, she used to be a full-time national school teacher, so the elementary school teacher, and um, was working in a private school in Ho Chi Minh and just kind of stepped back from the business a few years back. But now there is there was, I was getting to that stage where I said, look, I definitely need a second pair of hands. I'm going to get overworked soon. I don't want to be dealing with it all. So I need somebody and she was ready. And she was like, yeah, I'm ready to come back into the business if you need someone. So she's with me now again.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time, Paul. I think the industry, and this is going to be a large statement, but I hope you can accept it. But I think the world's a better place for your insight. So thank you so much for your time today.
1: That is a very kind thing to say, and I really appreciate it. And thanks, Elliot. I've, I've absolutely loved chatting. I really enjoyed
0: it. My pleasure. Perfect. Thank you for listening, team. Take care, and we'll speak to you very soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.